Hello and welcome to Waking Youth, a show dedicated to making sure we're not just sleepwalking through our waking state. Today I'm sitting with my dear friend Esaul Gorsalor. As a self-identified generalist, Esaul is a multimedia designer animated by the intersections across art and tech, social change and spirituality, as well as an earthling as into existential wandering as us. Inspired by many, but more particularly two of our conversations, one that emerged from Esau's decision to include in his LinkedIn bio description that he identifies as both he and they, and another one where we shared our thoughts and feelings around the theme of open relationships, will now contemplate the possibility of transcending binaries in the context of both gender and romantic relationships. If I still ground myself in being a he, I feel like I'm still limited, right? So I'm, it's just not a matter that I want to borrow some elements for the sake of self-expression. It goes beyond expression, it goes to the very core identity, where no, I just don't want to be a he, playing around and being expressive and, and, and being free to choose what he wants to do. At the very core, I don't, I don't want to look like a traditional he, I don't want to be this moment, I don't want to be a he, I want to be more than that. And I think here's the part where like we get a tiny bit into spirituality. I'm Carlota Getsch, and this is The Waking Youth Podcast. Well, Esaul, I'm very happy to have you here today in The Waking Youth Podcast. I'm very happy to be here. Before I even start with the first question, would you mind sharing in a few words with the listeners um, a little bit of an intro about you, what do mm. you do, who you are, maybe, yeah. <laughs> without getting too philosophical, because yeah. we'll get there in a second. For but just sure. so people who don't know you, like I mm -hmm. do, how would you just describe? Yeah, it's hard to describe myself, especially this is not a professional setting. I cannot just like give my <laughs> five-sentence professional... I'm a multidisciplinary designer. <laughs> designer. <laughs> it's not that, right? So like, how do I explain who I am? I'm a 23-year-old man, boy however you want to call it. Maybe we, we might be challenging that uh -huh. today a little bit. Yeah, I'm a designer. I was living in Madrid. I'm going to live in a smaller city, Segovia. I really, really, really like my countryside. I'm a very rural-oriented person, but I have also had an international education. And um, for me, my challenge, but also what makes me thrive is finding this balance between international and multiculturality and um, local living, right? Mm -hmm. I was a happy kid, and I, don't, I really don't know what else to say to introduce myself, but mm -hmm. um, I bet we're going like, to go a little bit deeper now, so yeah. that's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I guess that the two big houses or uh, topics, themes, mm -hmm. that we, we decided to explore are, on one hand all the discussion around gender and gender mm. identity and labels and how we define ourselves in terms yes. of gender. And then the other one is relationships, kinds mm -hmm. of relationships, monogamy, polyamor, in between yeah. all of that. Yeah, so I'll leave it up to you which one to start with 
And I think it will be fruitful and helpful to then explore some of the key definitions, mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. explore it in our own words. I think that will be right. fun. But before that, and this is where you can choose which one you feel most compelled to share first. How did you end up here interested even in these topics? Um, yeah. So I'll, I think I'll go back to uh, my teenager years. Then I took a lot of pride in being a little bit alternative, right? So I will be the kid who will paint his hair green, used to be different. I met you with blue hair. <laughs> yeah, right. That was cool, right? I had this impulse of, of going out of the norm a little bit. And through the years, so, so for me, like, I, I've always known that this matter of self-expression and expressing your identity, it was always very central. Like, I, was, I always wanted to, to, to be doing something to stand out. And I think in the recent years... Um, also maybe it comes with like a tiny bit more of maturation as I enter my 20s. It's a little bit less about this impulse of, oh, this teenager impulse of, oh, I want to be different, I want to be different. And more about like trying to connect with like the, the truth, the inner truth. It has also come with an evolution from a very like pure, logical, scientific mind to a more, I'm now much more open to like spiritual nuances and more social thinking and, and more emotional thinking as well. So all of that and, and the fact that I've been able to do work on myself, that I've gone to therapy, that, that was a step and that mm. brings me where I am here today, I think has allowed me to really, really reflect on gender, for example, and has made me realize that one of the things that was really driving me to try and break the mold was this thing of femininity mm. that I felt that ever since a young age, um, for whatever reason, it could be genetics, it could be education, it could be, it probably is a mix of everything, mm -hmm. but that there was this uh, ways of expression mm. and ways of expression could be anything, could be the way you talk or the way you dress or, you know, anything that is expression that I will feel much more comfortable if I would use typically more feminine ways mm. of, of going about things, right? It will not be for everything, and those would be there. And yeah, for a long time... For example? Time, for example, I guess... Hmm. Yeah, maybe one thing in, in my teenager years, like maybe it would be about my interest or what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and here we're just diving headfirst into like gender um, stereotypes, right? Mm -hmm. So... Most boys will prefer to go out and play sports and, um, I don't know, like there would be like these predefined hobbies and things that you do and you talk about. And I would perhaps be more interested to, about like staying home and um, I, I would be quite a bit more philosophical. This is not to say that men cannot be, like I, I know yeah. a lot of like male friends that even since a young age, they were like super introvert, they will stay home, like pretty much like like me, but this is this was already like a, a head start. And then also, okay, so I think actually it's a lot about like self-image at a young mm. age. Like you're you're growing up, is the whole teenager thing of like changes in your body and changes in the way you feel and like what is expected of you, this whole big rite of passage. Um, and well, for example, I, it took quite a bit for my facial hair to grow. Um, and I remember maybe I was 15 or, or mm -hmm. 14 
and I would really like to spend a long time having a shower and after that I spend a long time just um, drying my hair and playing with my hair to leave it in a really <laughs> just perfect uh, state and I would really spend a long time looking at the mirror uh, <laughs> And being like, oh, I'm so pretty with my hair and my face. <laughs> and I would like look at the angles of my chin. No hair. Um, and then then it was like a very innocent thing. Like I was not thinking about gender at all. I, mm -hmm. I just I was just enjoying liking myself I was, as I was growing up. Very innocent. It was it was it was yeah, it was tremendously innocent. I remember actually thinking like, I really wonder how am I gonna look when I grow up? Because I thought like What's the image of men? How mm. how are, how do men look in their twenties? Right? Mm -hmm. You imagine a guy with like a bird and short hair. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, I don't see myself quite arriving at that. And I've I've, never, I've looked like that. Like I've like three years ago, I, I had a mustache and some bird and a short mm -hmm. hair. So like I've I've been there, right? But it was it was like I, I really do wonder how will I be? How will I look in the future? Because you know, I'm, I'm this right now and I'm now look like this and I would like to, to continue exploring this, but it seemed to me like there was no clear path. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was like one first thing where where I already had this, this sort of, not initiation, but... So at this point, you're describing it as very innocent, mm -hmm. exploring yourself yeah. and exploring your body yeah. and your expressions. How was that confrontation, like at that age where, like perhaps in our teenager, teenage years, was there a conf confrontation? Was it more even like an affirmation from your side or you did have feedback? Um, I did have And how some, did you navigate yeah, that, right? Yeah, I did have some feedback, like um, obviously in the social environment in mm -hmm. high school. I think by the time I was in these teenager years, I had past the hardest parts of, of, of social interaction and like uh, things like social anxiety of bullying. I did face a little bit of bullying at, at the early stages of my life when I was a kid. So I was sort of like already beyond that, past that. And even if I was in this stage of, of uh, wanting to explore my identity and, and seeing myself as different to others, I, I do feel like I had some support. I had friendly peers And while they were not my friends or like I will not be discussing these things with them, they will not treat me very differently. Mm -hmm. Like there will be like a generally good environment. So I, I think that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. But there was definitely this sort of feedback, especially from older people, uh, maybe my dad. My dad was has always been a really supportive dad, but he did have these comments, right? Or maybe other adults mm -hmm. where they're like, commenting about the hair or commenting about you know the, the way the way you talk that's another maybe thing that is a bit more related to femininity right when when you're on your teens and, and you're not like boasting and like being like whoa, whoa I'm so cool <laughs> and I did this and I did that but instead you're like sort of like quiet and in a corner and trying to like um be uh, you know work behind the scenes and And have these like intimate chats with people, and 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 I think social media. Let's let's talk about that for a second because for me that was very close related, and that self, that that exploration of self identity was very related to starting discovering social media and being on social media. Mm, really, for the huh. first time. Yeah, I was maybe 13 when I got um, my first iPod Touch. 
uh, which was like my gateway to the internet. And Your I got first a, what? IPod? iPod, ah. iPod Touch. So it was not a phone, but it, it could like, if, uh-huh. if I was on Wi-Fi, I could do pretty much like having a smart smartphone. So I will, I got a Twitter account and I got very involved in the Twitter community. Uh-huh. I was one of these kids who are like all day on Twitter posting things and having conversations with people and having a lot of fights too. It was a time of um, really becoming like adopting ideas or ideologies as very close to my identity. So it will be a time of really standing up for social values and like maybe defending workers' rights and standing up for feminism and standing up for... Uh, gender issues and standing up for um, interculturality so, and defending other cultures. Let me just yeah. understand. You're saying that social media gave you that platform to yes. express, to connect both, just to understand. Yes. First, it gave me the platform of reflection, right? So, like, I would connect with people that will feel, um, in a way, that that I will resonate with. Like, I think we all have experience on social media but in the other hand it was it was really giving me a platform because I didn't have one so mm. I, I was growing up in rural Spain <laughs> and and I just mentioned I had really cool and friendly peers yeah. in high school which is a great thing but I really didn't I had not connected with any sort of like international environment yet mm-hmm. and being connected to the internet being on Twitter for me and Twitter and other platforms but Twitter maybe was the one that I spent the most time on, was this sort of like window for me to see there's all of this diversity, there's all of this like gender diversity, sexual diversity, cultural diversity, language mm-hmm. diversity, and um, made me feel empowered to explore. Mm-hmm. As I was saying, in, in that time it came in the shape of like identifying with ideologies and trying to defend them. <laughs> I was this kid who was like jumping and very reactive on Twitter <laughs> and like getting super mad because someone said something and I'm going to prove them wrong. I look back at that and with a little bit of cringe and a little bit of self-love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, but it started there. Yeah. yeah like okay, it made so, me feel like I had a voice. Uh-huh. Okay. So let's go to now. And I think that the, the, the best way to connect <laughs> and to contextualize our conversation mm. is that I think that every time that we, or a lot of the times that we get together for work or just um, friendship and, and, and rambling, we end up talking about these these themes. I remember that this conversation really came up when we were working on kind of LinkedIn descriptions mm. and, and personal bios mm. and just thinking about our professional persona. Mm. And you uh, and, and we had this conversation about how we, about our pronouns. Yeah, and, and then I remember it, it happened very, um, I think perhaps these were even two conversations. Mm. We talked about this the fact that there is this feature embedded on LinkedIn that is kind of a phenomenon that actually, I think it bloomed when we shifted to collaborating a lot on Zoom with the pandemic because people would, once they get in, into the, the Zoom room, they would put in the 
the name also their pronouns mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and we were just reflecting about this and that's also when you 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 started this this conversation about how you identify as yeah. both he and they yeah. and we ended up at another conversation talking about even what that could means at the spiritual yeah. level and the transcendence of that so i think that it's interesting to just you know and like now this is how we ignited this conversation yeah. but it's i think it's interesting to see where you're at now and how yes. Perhaps it has shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has definitely shifted from this place of being just a rebel kid. I'm still a rebel kid <laughs> at heart, but I really was like that rebel kid that just wanted to like maybe see the world burn to having really found, I, I was mentioned this before already, but having really found more of like how this is an intimate thing and a thing of like discovering the self-truth and self-identity. And now it's not so much a matter of like I need to be out there all day on social media talking about it or screaming about it or or pushing it out to other people but it's much more about like this is who I am now and this clarity of 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 identifying as he slash they only came fairly recently so maybe this was like end of summer last year so less than a year ago or even maybe a little bit before that I had bef- just before that I had a very transformational year where I was on therapy for like nine months it was just after the pandemic and um, I was facing this personal challenge where I was very isolated. I was I was not living in Madrid. I was living almost back home, and I didn't have a lot of friends. So I I did go through like this reconnection process, um, also in therapy, and having all of that time by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you you know, like just living by myself, working, having having a lot of time to like meditate and contemplate life and. And, and work on myself was that sort of opportunity where I started really going deeper and, and looking inside. And I think that's where I overcame, like finally overcame this barrier of I can and I feel comfortable, mm. like feeling in the middle of both male and female energy and mm. seeing that I could could be both or neither uh, at, at some points. And before, you know, I had been, this has been a play, it, it has been an experiment, it has mm. been a rebellion, but I had never actually said it to anyone. Said it out loud. Yeah, yeah. Not, not even to myself, right? I had not said, I am a they, I could be a they at some point. I was, I had been informing myself, I had been reading a lot about gender, mm-hmm. I had been discussing a lot about gender with a lot of different people. I was very interested in, in the topic, but it had never come to the point of saying, you know, I am this, or mm-hmm. I could be this. So what does that day mean when you say it? So when I say it, for me, it's it, we go back to the pattern of freedom, right? It, it goes back to the pattern of like, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll return the question to you, what's a he? So when you define a he, what, what, if you were to answer that question, probably you're, you're going to go and you're going to come back to me with a bunch of, of gender stereotypes and, and gender rules so you could also bring up the thing of biology so we use he to determine individuals who have a dick and you get into a lot of issues there um with gender but mm, there's all these like so like definitions of what the he is and the thing is i, I realized that sometimes and this is not every time not not at, not at all, all points through through my life but there are some situations where being encapsulated in those bullet points of what mm-hmm. a he is feels limiting and mm-hmm. feels limiting of my freedom. 
um, at a very internal identity level because maybe I'm not that thing that you're saying that mm. that I am. For example, um, this happens to me uh, when I go out. Mm. I really like the ritual, the ritualistic aspect of um, doing your makeup before mm. you go out mm -hmm. um, because you're going to, mainly if you go out, there is this vibe of celebration. Um, and I really, really like how eyeliner looks mm -hmm. on people. I have to say, because this is an audio only podcast that is all is in the moment at the moment with <laughs> half of his face wearing makeup eyeliner yes um <laughs> green but that is very much your color too. yes it is a bit my color <laughs> um i've always loved how eyeliner looked on girls when i saw mm -hmm. them i was like that looks that looks just stunning right mm -hmm. and actually on, on on everyone i had seen eyeliner on on guys before um why just one side because you didn't have time to make the other one <laughs> uh, i was a bit in a rush but i also okay. thought that's sort of symbolic <laughs> you know like i'm bringing like mm. half and half i'm in the middle i'm, I'm nothing I'm, i'm not defining myself <laughs> as either one or the other so i thought that's symbolic i'm just gonna do half of my face okay i see <laughs> very profound as well <laughs> i know <laughs> okay um, but, but let yeah, me just sorry. say because i think you know sometimes when i have this this conversation with with people that perhaps uh, have different experiences, have different circles, or perhaps are a bit older, though age is not, mm -hmm. not always, but sometimes, um, they understand that how c can the categories of, or the assumptions of what it means to be a man and a woman are limiting, but they don't get why you would have to come up with something that is not that and so this i'm just your, putting here the yeah. objection right yeah. and just thinking then why not extend yeah. what it means to be man or woman yeah. why go today i think this is yeah. interesting to well dig. i think we are like we should extend what uh masculinity and femininity mean we should we should and i think we're already expand doing expand the definition right? i think that is already happening do I you think, think that they, don't you think that they are just reductive Um, no, I mm. think, I think they're important and I think they're not going to disappear. There's some mm -hmm. people talking about like how, oh, if we continue with this, um, cultural like gender diversity or uh -huh. where no one is going to have a gender, um, masculinity and femininity are going to completely disappear. I don't think this is the case because I do think that there is a fundamental link to, uh, biological sexuality and like, I think gender Uh, as much as we can say that it's a social construct, and it is, I do believe that it does exist for a reason, and it does a social, it does play a social role. So, so when beyond you th making babies, beyond, well, that's probably <laughs> maybe the most important <laughs> thing about gender, right? And uh, the fact that these we have, that's we about have the sex, not the gender. Well, yes and no, because we have the sex thing, but then we are cultural beings, so we need a cultural framework mm. and, and a set of tools that we can use to um, <laughs> to deal with, like, um, yeah, mating, you know, to talk about, like... I don't know, but I, th I feel like the roles, like, even though they are present, I feel like they are diluted, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that it's... I think what's interesting is to also just like acknowledge feminine, masculine in all of us, mm -hmm. independent of your gender. Yes. And, um, and then kind of like in relationship, find out, you know, in what ways you're going to complement each other as, sure. a, as a, a, for sure. a couple. 
yeah, or co-parents. Yeah, we, we are now in an age where like you have people with a dick that um, identify as females and mm-hmm. and as as women, and um, and that's fine. I really think that is fine. Um, we but we we do have to acknowledge our trajectory and where we are coming from. Um, in the sense that before it used to be that gender was linked with sex. Mm. I don't think that's the case anymore. Okay. I don't think it will be the case in the future. I'm glad that it won't be the case in the future because I do think that was limiting and oppressing for a lot of people. Um, but we do have to acknowledge that sort of like legacy role mm. of gender. And I and I do still think that it's good that we keep um, masculinity and femininity for sure. Like everybody, even if you identify only as male or only as female, I think it's good that we do keep some sort of like definition and some sort of like identity cues and and even yeah like uh identity i don't want to say stereotypes because i I think you can you know keep identity pieces that are either male or female without yeah Mm, because a lot of people find you know for example if you think about like a transgender woman Uh they are feeling um they feel good when they are able to express femininity. So completely diluting what femininity is and looks like in terms of expression or cues. I didn't want to say categories. I think the I think it's 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 not a problem if we do keep some sort of like distinction um or qualitative uh, difference between masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. because I think there are and it, it's even a, a spiritual thing like you can have those in like two boxes and then you can have people choose whatever mix they want from those boxes mm. um, and call themselves what they want. You could have a man that calls himself, I'm a man, I'm a him, I'm not a they, I'm just a him. But then he loves to do his nails and do his makeup. Mm-hmm. And that's just completely fine. He's drawing from the other, you know, traditional set of expression um, expressions. But you know, like I, I don't think those those are gonna fully dilute. I don't know if I'm if I'm making sense right now. Yeah, you are. But I didn't understand that if it's diluted, then that last comment. I understood the boxes yeah, no, and how because I you think don't I think we are the... we're coming from this question um, that you made of of why you know why they and why not just expanding this. And, and yeah, I was just commenting yeah, so, that they so are actually... exactly on that comment, like you're saying, then then we might have, and I stand for that, men, for example, that uh, they do identify as a he or a, a him, and they also paint their nails, and uh, they also like... I don't know what's another gender gender stereotype that is associated to the feminine wearing heels, yeah. wearing makeup, it's, yeah, it's right? Great. And they don't have, they just acknowledge that they're choosing certain aspects mm-hmm. of that box and sometimes the other box still identifying as a he. Then why would you go the extra mile to identify as they? Um, well, I, I think for me... Um, the discovery of this or, or the moment I said I, I really feel comfortable some moments like um, going and calling myself they is because um, there are so many things that I like about femininity mm. um, and so many uh, gender expressions that I like about femininity or that I identify with mm-hmm. there that in, like or in certain scenarios 
it could be the more visual things like the the dressing or or the nails or the makeup um it could be the more subtle things like the way my personality or the way i like to approach people and relate to people it could be my you know it could be a lot of different things but mm-hmm. there are some situations where if i still ground myself in being a he i feel like i'm still limited right so I'm, uh-huh. it's just not a matter that i want to borrow some elements for the sake of self expression it it goes beyond expression it goes to the very core identity where no i just don't want to be a he you know it's beyond that. playing around uh and 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 being expressive and 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 being free to choose what he wants to do at the very core, I don't, I don't want to look like not a, he, a traditional he. I don't want to be at this moment. I don't want to be a he. Hmm. I want to be more than that. And I think he, here's the part where like we get a tiny bit into spirituality. Yeah. Um, because and and I think we were almost making this point before of how there's the masculine, the feminine, and everyone. And you could even say from the point of spirituality, the divine masculine and the divine feminine in everyone. and uh, Or from the point of view of therapy, your therapist will probably try to work on, on your uh, masculine, oh, yeah, energies, balancing yeah. the two energies, right? So when you realize that both energies are important and crucial for all humans, when you realize that the core of being human is the connection and the balance of both masculinity and femininity, then you could make a point that when you identify with this they, that mm-hmm. is both and neither, and there are some people out there, and then uh, th- uh, this is important for me to highlight that I'm coming from my experience, where for me being both and neither at the same time feels like the same. Some people will prefer to say I'm neither, and some people will prefer to say I'm both, or some people will prefer to say I'm a little bit closer to one side or the other. But for me, this connection to the they is about being able to connect to both at the same time. It's a, it's a state of empowerment where I am drawing on my masculine strengths and my feminine strengths at the same time, and I'm feeling the power they both gave me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I cannot fully do this if I am at a, at a situation where I'm saying I'm a him. Because then at, as, uh, I'm saying yes. I'm, I, w- I might be in connection with my feminine side. I may be drawing from. I might have my eyeliner on, but I'm a he. Mm-hmm. So I'm not fully in that um, state. So, like for example, it, it comes to me. It's a very ritualistic thing. So, like at moments of my life where I feel that they're very important, mm-hmm. um, I, I will be probably trying to to be uh, identifying as as a they. Um, because it's this connection to something bigger, it's this connection to the to the bigger humanity in me, um, that that is not limited, as, as not caged by mm-hmm. any um, gender definitions. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful, and that's that reminds me of that particular conversation we had in Segovia, that was precisely about this beyond mm-hmm. the binary, the duality, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and even I think there's a, a dimension also of self-creation. Hmm. Mm. And that's a particular experience and, and something I've been aware of, you know, that we are in our 20s and I'm, I'm, I'm having this feeling also of uh, I am 
defining myself i am creating myself i feel that mm -hmm. very strongly and i think this is this conversation is very much about that it's mm -hmm. what could be me beyond this gender that was assigned to me mm -hmm. yeah and it's a, it's a, it's a bit even like a theater play no that you're in improvisation in yeah. improvising what it could yeah. be and exploring different aspects of you i think i think that's beautiful and it also reminds me of this this question of how culture and reality is is linked with language hmm. and how one reinforces the other but that's it's also important to remember that language is also a life so as we evolve language also evolves with us and and i think that yeah just stretching language in that sense to to look for perhaps a definition an identity definition that goes beyond that duality i think it's it's worth it's worth talking about <laughs> yeah no and and i want to expand on this as you were saying of um both language and culture are constantly changing and it came to mind right now how gender uh you know stereotypes and like gender um, expressions have been very different, have been changing through history and through different cultures. So you might find cultures where, you know, uh, women are, you know, maybe that's not the rule or uh -huh. the dominant uh, pattern, but you might find matriarchal societies um, or you may find how, talking about like expressive elements, right? You might find how just a century or two centuries ago, blue was uh, yeah. the color that baby girls will be dressed on and pink will be the color that boys will be dressed on, right? Yeah, and then that's completely reversed. the red, uh, pink, red was associated to blood and war and that right. uh, signified masculinity. Yeah. So even like those, these like expression cues um, do change through time. And um, it might probably be the case that in 200 years, uh, what eyeliner will be something yeah. that people like who identify as a male, right? I just want to bring something that I had here that in this topic of like how also this conversation is connected to matters of the spirit. <laughs> that there is one, there are several, and there's a lot, and this is I think also where you know we also have to balance. Um, and I understand sometimes the. Some of the resistance, I think it's because there's a lot of categories uh, mm -hmm. and then it becomes challenging to keep up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just to list some, we don't have time to go into all of them, nor also I think um, the personal experience nor the research to, to expand too much on this. But So examples, eight gender uh, bi-gender, cisgender, gender expensive, gender fluid, gender outlaw, gender queer, non-binary, polygender, pangender, transgender. And then there's this two-spirit that I found. This was new uh, for me uh, when I was doing some, some mm -hmm. brief research. And this two-spirit is associated to indigenous Native Americans. And I think this is so you know beautiful and I, I haven't even thought about this but how they they it's almost like they have two spirits right and how they they mm. created that term kind of mm. to just another example right of how your mental model shapes the language that yeah. you have yeah. and your experience of the world 
Yeah, there's there's a really cool point here connecting with what you were saying just before and I was saying before for different cultures and language evolving. If we look at different cultures, and you mentioned the indigenous example now, when you mentioned it, also the example of traditional um, Indian culture came to mind, where even in those societies already from, from an ancestral times, there have been there has been language and there has been cultural frameworks to deal with non-binary gender, uh-huh. right? They have had those definitions. And if we come back to today, where we have this myriad of uh, definitions that can seem even overwhelming, um, I think it's a result of um, or a reaction to our culture, our Western culture, trying to... Um, trying to sort of like be like, no, there's only two genders. Uh, and trying to double down on this, uh, there's a male and there's a female and there's this very clearly defined roles. So when people who don't fit in mm-hmm. one of those two uh, categories rebel from their inner need of, of, uh, of identity and, and, and expressing their identity, because there is no established framework like in the Hindu culture or, or in tribal cultures, well, then they are making up as they go. So I would argue, I'm also not an expert on this, but I will argue that all of these different non-binary gender tags are probably getting very close to a very, a very similar thing. But because they, it has been the journeys of different people arriving to that, the framing of what that is, different tags will resonate better with different people. Mm. I would just say, um, I think what is useful is to make a distinction between binary and non-binary. Uh-huh. Because, you know, like, I, I don't think you can compare head to head, you know, someone who's saying I'm a I'm transgender or uh, uh-huh. to someone who is saying saying I'm polygender. Uh-huh. Um, because in, in, in saying I'm transgender, that's still a binary gender person where they're choosing between you know like the traditional established um he and she they're they're, that might not have been what they were assigned at at birth or what culture has considered them to be but that's what they feel like they are so they're choosing that identity and they're choosing to remain within the binary yeah so and then outside of that is non-binary identities Uh um and then again like the personal journey to arrive at a non-binary identity might be very different like i personally don't quite i haven't like chosen the tag for myself i'm not saying i'm gender fluid i'm not saying i'm a gender how do you, you know, feel I, about I, I think choosing pronoun- one of those labels how do you personally feel about labels i have like well labels obviously are like this thing it, it, it's it, it goes very semantic right we go back to the question of language we're like sure We'd rather have no label and be a free spirit. But if we have no labels, we cannot communicate. Yeah, and we even are. that sig- stands for something that you can probably put a label, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> totally. One thing that I really like about this, like when I, when we say certain words and you kind of also just, they come with this, I don't know, sometimes it comes to me in a very visual way and w- binary is this or that mm-hmm. right and and it's not admitting the in between and and it's beautiful to think about the non-binary kind of a, a spectrum that is also very common yeah. to say this that sexuality is a spectrum gender is a mm-hmm. spectrum and i like this very much and it's almost as if 
when I heard this kind of this metaphor in the context of politics, when we have mm. the left and right mm. uh, polarity, that actually. The existence of the polarity is what brings balance because mm -hmm. you have people on the spectrum that balance each other. Yeah. So you actually need both. Yeah. Um, and, and that that dense and that's also very um, yoga talks about this, the balance of the yin and the yang. And how mm -hmm. is this subtle dance that everyone, female, male or even beyond female and male should strive for? Uh, I guess that's you know, we're more or less halfway. So I think that on this metaphor or image of this mm -hmm. pendulum or spectrum, we can bring in the topic of uh, relationships right. as well. That was our second topic. So I don't know. I leave it up to you what you feel most inspired to, right. to, to, to share. Do you want to talk about this, how, you, how it might or not be similar in terms of how it is also a spectrum? Or do you want to start from your personal I, I do want to comment on the spectrum okay. thing because that, I, I do want to make a punctualization okay. of what I said just before because I was saying, you know, like all this like non-binary gender tags might be dependent on the journey of the person. And yes, I think that's true. But I also think that now that you mentioned the spectrum, there is more depth to that. Mm. Um, and maybe if we had done a little bit more research or we had like... A, so I have some notes here. We could research like, will follow this podcast. Research or will precede, follow. Precede. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, probably um, the the tag for, for non-binary gender identities can be helpful in, you know, navigating that spectrum. So maybe someone who is saying I'm gender fluid um, is a person that feels like it's constantly flowing from one position of the spectrum to another position uh -huh. of the spectrum, and they are not quite ever in the same place. While someone who says they're um, agender or, or I don't know what's the exact tag, because again, I'm not super keen on tags, but um, they might they might say I'm dead on the middle. Uh -huh. Don't call me male. Don't call me female. I'm just really dead on the middle and this so so it might not be only as i said before about their journey there but it may also be about like their dynamics within that spectrum right um but then again obviously the what i would say there is just listen to whoever is speaking about themselves like there's like every person uh, is is only themselves are equipped to to give you that sort of like definition of of their identity mm -hmm. Yeah, and that being said, because I really, <laughs> I, I, this came to mind, I really wanted to make that uh, punctualization or correction to myself before. And we can totally go into relationships now. Well, I think for me, discovering like, because this whole gender thing, right, and, and the spectrum and everything, first, much, much earlier, I discovered it. Um, and also feel free to talk about sexuality. I think yeah, these three particularly was, are very related, no? I was definitely going there. So, you know, with the whole gender as a spectrum thing, um, if I if I think about relationships as well as a spectrum, it makes me think of like when I first became interested about gender. That was in my, you know, again, teenager years, much before I finally took the step to say, I'm going to stop identifying uh, with a binary gender role or tag. Way, way earlier, 
I have a really uh, sort of like intellectual interest in this topic and I was mm -hmm. reading about it. Um, and one of the first things I learned and I think that is important to, to make clear is this distinction between gender and sexual orientation, right? Because normally you, you're having conversations about gender, you may, are having conversations about all GBTQ um, and um, especially people who are not super keen on these topics, they possibly tend to put everything in the same bag and be like, oh, so like then they, they tend to confuse identity, which mm -hmm. is about who you are, with sexuality, which is about who you like. Yeah. Or, um, and there is definitely a correlation, and this is why it might be confusing to some people uh, between, you know, gender and sexuality. Like a lot of our sexuality is gender-based. Some people explicitly only like um, girls and some people explicitly only like men. The opposite sex. Right. Um, but then again, we go back to this spectrum of sexuality, right? So you have people who are binary in their sexuality. They either only like men or only like women. They might be heterosexual if they identify as male and or if they identify their this gender, they identify as one gender and they are attracted to the other. Or they might be homosexual if they are still attracted to one single gender, um, maybe the same one they identify as. Um, but then if you break away from the binary there, um, you first have bisexual people, which I personally identify as, that are attracted to, to both males and females. Why bisexual and not pansexual? I'm curious. I am very reluctant to go into like a talk about pansexuality <laughs> because I remember that there was a huge polemic about pansexuality. Mm. Um, I don't remember the exact reason, so I'm going to be careful with my words here. There was some deal about like the community of people who call, call themselves pansexual. Um, I guess not being the best folks or like having some um, not fantastic behaviors but again I don't recall with I don't really really recall so I, I'm not gonna yeah I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm gonna be careful there yeah um, for me they seem like logically very similar things um, but for some reason there was some rejection to the pansexuality uh, again I'm not I'm not gonna mention too much about that um, just return to where you were. Yeah. yeah so you know, like when you break away from the binary, you could be bisexual. Uh, and I personally, as, as a bisexual, I won't limit myself to people who are binary, right? If I, um, I, I could definitely see someone who is agender, for example, and I could find that person uh, beautiful. I could be attracted to that person. Um, so, so you know, I'm saying bisexual, but also like for me, bisexuality is not limited to uh, binary gender roles. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there is a lot of, again, a spectrum and diversity of tags. So a lot of people uh, prefer to define themselves in, in different ways because it's the way that um, defining the way they like other, their people makes most sense and mm -hmm. is most accurate for them. Um, tell me. Yeah, returning to you and this, this, this triple connection, sexuality, gender and relationships. Yeah, so then we 
we this this felt almost like an obligated stop right like we're going from gender to relationships let's just make sure let's double check that we are mentioning you know that the clear difference um yeah with sexuality so that being said uh relationships which again yeah are also a spectrum i don't know if you want to prompt me or no i guess that's yeah you were i you were saying before how this kind of openness to defining yourself and defining what you are attracted to or perhaps defining i think it's more questioning questioning that is very much connected to this podcast yeah how it also opened your eyes to yeah. this this topic of like freedom mm. or conditioning in mm. uh, in relationships what's the status quo what is the conditioning and what do i want Yeah. So I think the common thread here is this breaking away from a binary or a rigid condition. We have seen it in gender and in, in sexuality. And we also see that in our culture, in our Western collection of cultures, very traditionally, we have had this monogamy. Uh -huh. Let me, I think it will be fun now to bring yeah. some terms, yeah. also because there's some new sexy terms here mm -hmm. <laughs> that will i think it will be fun to just provide this foundation and then kind of have a a ping pong about it yeah so i was sharing with us all before how preparing to this episode we run into or i run into into some lovely episodes podcast episodes one with jorge ferrer and then this woman I think she would identify as woman, I'm not sure. Dr. Zena Vrangalova. Yeah, they kind of introduced me to a new a new concept. So there's and and, and particularly Jorge Ferrer, he has this book called Love and Freedom and he expands on the concept of monogamy and and here he distinguishes between traditional monogamy and serial monogamy. So tradition is when you try <laughs> to have lifelong a, li a lifelong partner one only serial is when you are with one person at a time but you are monogamous while you're with that person meaning you're not involved um, mm -hmm. you're not having sex mm -hmm. um, and here also i think we can deconstruct what is cheating or mm -hmm. is it just about sex or emotions and all of that There is consensual non-monogamy, which means that you can have sexual relationships outside that main partnership. And then there's polyamor, where beyond the sexual relationship, intimacy with other humans, beyond that root relationship, you can also have emotional, so it's both sexual and emotional connections with third parties that then so it doesn't mean that you have to stay in that foundation of relationship you can have several yeah and then to kind of also avoid or not even avoid transcend again this binary Jorge proposes another term called novogamy <laughs> so it's The spectrum of open possibilities. It's the choice to be free and throughout different points of your life, deciding what makes most sense to, for you, for your personality, for your relationship and for your partner. Mm -hmm. 
And similar to this conversation we just had about gender, he posits if we can do such thing with with uh, relationships as well. Yeah, so I think that we can we can just start talking. I think there's many, many things. I think he does a great job at also kind of deconstructing some of the... He's very clear in also kind of explaining how there's no no one size fits all. Mm. There's no not a right or wrong. It's really about right. this process of open communication and open construction. And he also explains some of the myths and some of the shortcomings associated to both to polyamory to all of them. Really, mm -hmm. I I've particularly found some of the the shortcomings related to serial non-monogamy intriguing because we don't we don't often think about them and one reminded me of you that he says let me find it uh, well i'll just do it from memory it's okay he he explains how one of the points is that because there's this aspect of breakup and then you find go and find another partner for people who 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 care actually about maintaining the friendship with the previous partner there can be an issue mm -hmm. because the norm tends to be that it's not acceptable uh, seen as acceptable for you to actually keep a, maintain a relationship with your ex yeah and then he he goes beyond exes how even in friendships how there's some literature that says advises kind of people in in serial or monogamous relationship if you're to not hang out in a friendship with someone from the, the opposite sex to not provoke or even tempt you to, mm. to have a sexual relationship. But I remember this because I remember you also sharing how this was a motivation yeah. of yours to explore this friendship that you still had with your ex. Yeah. So maybe if you can talk about like what you feel when with this new term monogamy, novogamy, no, no, <laughs> and we can start from there. Yeah. That's definitely super interesting and a, and a great framework. I did not know this distinction. It makes a lot of sense between mm -hmm. serial monogamy and traditional monogamy. Uh, it's true that probably we are very influenced by this traditional monogamy that came as a result of like marriage culture. But then in modern times, it, it increasingly became about serial monogamy, which was probably already like breaking a norm, you know, like... I have a breakup now yeah, because because divorce was not a thing. Yeah, it was not, and I, and that was I, I guess a great norm to be able to break because if you're in a relationship that does and, and a partnership that does not work, mm -hmm. then uh, by all means you should be able to break for from from that and and search new new avenues for love and for relationships. Yeah, and that's one of the one of his points of Jorge too that not only you have the possibility to go out of the relationship if it doesn't serve you, but also from spiritual point of view, you can understand where you failed mm. or where you might and evolve learn and it. learn from it yeah. for your next relationship. For sure. So so yeah, I would argue that it was already like a sort of an innovation or, or a breaking from and creating something new. And and increasingly, if we break more and more norms and we deconstruct, and this is the pattern, right? Today, this pattern of deconstruction that we have seen in gender and we have seen in sexuality, um, I think it comes with the ability we are gaining to better understand ourselves and better understand all this complexity. 
because in a relationship, you were saying before, there's a lot of things. It might, you know, there's the dimension of sex. And mm -hmm. within that dimension, there is probably a thousand things to talk about. There's that dimension of, um, you know, emotional support. But then there is a dimension of uh, family. And there's a dimension of a common space. And there is a dimension of plans together or plans with friends. So there is all of these things about the relationship that... Um, that give you things and, and where you're giving things to other humans. Mm -hmm. And those might be very diverse and very complex. So uh, as we become increasingly aware, we we broke this thing of, of traditional monogamy into serial monogamy, and now we're breaking more norms and creating new avenues into this, what he calls novogamy, which of course, again, resembles this spectrum mm -hmm. of let me, let me mix match and create at every stage of my life, whatever yeah. works for me. It also obviously needs to come with, as you were mentioning, very open communication mm -hmm. because it's not only like this is different to gender mm -hmm. or sexual orientation in that it's not only about you. Yeah. At every stage, it's going to be about you and at the very least someone else. So sure, you have to come with your needs and your expectations, but it's going to be a negotiation. And and this is where I think it's very different from from gender identity. For example, gender, you define your gender, mm -hmm. you define where you are, and no one can tell you to change a tiny bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, but when we're talking about relationships, it, it it's this very malleable thing that and, and that is a negotiation in nature. Malleable two-way process. Yeah, for sure. It needs to be able to work for at least two people. So, And it needs to be able to evolve in time. So I yeah. think the fact that with Novogamy, he acknowledges how it might be different in different stages of, of your life. It's, it's already a step forward in understanding relationships. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, going back to what you were saying about these things with maintaining a friendship and, and the relationship with your ex... Coincidentally, just short of a week ago, I saw this clip from Teal Swan. I, you might know her. Uh, she's, I don't know if Guru would uh, be a good <laughs> tag for her, but she's this sort of like spiritual leader or mm -hmm. speaker who does talks and has a YouTube channel and also like put some clips on social media. And she was making pretty much this point. And she put it in a very impactful way or in a very clear way. Relationships don't end. They never end. The point of conscious uncoupling or creating friendship after breakup is to try to do this in a way where you have a positive relationship coming out of it instead of a horrifically negative one. The fact that relationships don't end is why most people who are conscious choose to do this and not call it a breakup but instead call it a transition or a passage or a shift or an uncoupling. So anytime a relationship is changing, it is an ending. The question is, what is it changing into? And then maybe I can go back to my personal experience. My personal experience was pretty much this. And pretty much at the same time that I was realizing these things about gender and um, identifying with they sometimes, it came it came with a break back up to me. Like So last summer, last August... Um, I broke up with my two-year partner, or mm -hmm. rather she, she probably took the decision to break up. She was the one who took the initiative. Although, obviously... To break up or to shift? Yeah, obviously, <laughs> now I would call it a different uh, term. Um, but it was 
obviously it was not her doing it was we were drifting apart for a series of reasons and no single person was to blame and then she was just the one to vocalize that but then it it i mean it was a breakup in the traditional sense of the word but then we did decide to remain friends because uh, we realized that our relationship was so val- val- valuable so mm-hmm. we didn't stop having a relationship to this day we still have a relationship it's just not a romantic or a sexual one we are very good friends but then it came to me with this realization of well i know that i might or it's very clear to me i have this clarity that i have no intention and i have no desire of being in a romantic or sexual partnership with uh, my ex again because we have other history we diverge paths and I have the clarity that it's over mm. in that sense. So, but now there's this friendship that could be very solid, that could be a pillar of my life because it's this person that knows me very in a very intimate way, that knows what makes me tick, that knows my weaknesses and my strengths, that knows my relational pat- patterns. So when developing new relationships and when having any challenges of my life, I could go to this person and have a listening ear and have a, a great uh, mirror and a great ally that can help me reflect on the other way around. Mm-hmm. So there was that, but there was also the realization that there's an underlying love mm. that is, I, I would say, more powerful than uh, I will have for any of my closest friends. And that, that doesn't mean that she's more than a friend, but I do still love her in ways that I don't love my friends. So mm. that was the truth that I discovered Mm. Uh, in myself when I realized this and I was like well this is cool I am happy that I'm realizing this and I'm happy that I'm able to now you know work on keeping this friendship because I, I was very happy about it it was very valuable and it made the whole um, breakup quote-unquote much more bearable because it was this sense of feeling supported and, and and of security and clarity that this this person is going to still be in my life and and we still have a role to play in each other's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was emotionally very comforting in a, in a sense, but it was problematic. Problematic in the sense that for which side, for whom? It was well. It was it's problematic for the side of thinking about serial monogamy, for example. If if my relationship, the one I'm talking about now, it was a monogamous relationship. It was the this ex relationship yes. or the current one. The my my ex that was a two year monogamous yeah. relationship, but when thinking, for example, if 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 operating within the framework of serial monogamy, then <laughs> what do you do? You start another relationship and you tell the person that you start dating, no, I I do still love my my ex. Like, how are they gonna react to that? Mm. So I I I realized that I needed to find a new relational framework as well. And that's when I started exploring open relationships. Yeah, and I think that perhaps a lot of people think about this, mm-hmm. but there's a difference between you thinking and entertaining these thoughts on your mind and actually proposing things and talking openly with your yeah. partner about the possibility of you having a certain kind of relationship. So perhaps what would be your thoughts there or experiences there and yeah. perhaps some learnings, whatever you feel like sharing with us today. Yeah. So a few months after this, I 
started dating another girl. In my mind, I already had this thing. It, it was a constant topic that I would think about of open relationships. And obviously, it was this sort of like upcoming challenge because we were dating. And at first, you know, it was Bumble date, mm-hmm. um, second Bumble date, third date, fourth date. And it soon became clear that we had a thing for each other and that we will both feel feel comfortable and we will like both like to have a relationship mm-hmm. um to to step away from just being dates and and here i don't i the way i see this i i do see it as a communication challenge because in a way i had to express my truth being my truth the way that i still love my ex and the way that's that comes with a, the clarity of not wanting a relationship again with my ex uh, and those nuances and i knew that it would be challenging to probably communicate that so i just i mean what can I, I just did it i just said i just said those things mm-hmm. um i tried obviously to be as kind as possible mm-hmm. as listening as possible um not trying to impose any reality and i'm going back to the thing about negotiation i i, I said those things but i was saying well this doesn't mean that this is the only way that I'm going to accept having a relationship with you because what yeah. comes first is, you know, what we are both experiencing now, the attraction that we are experiencing now, and the fact that we want to have a relationship. And for me, this, I don't want to put, I don't want to jeopardize this just because I want to impose a relational model. Mm-hmm. So let us, you Co-create know. create this. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's sure. I, I would even, I, I, knowing myself, I probably even use that word at some uh-huh. point. So... <laughs> I, I guess I encouraged or I tried to to frame it as a process as much as I could and to take pressure away uh-huh. um, and to, you know, like use my actions, not my words, to like demonstrate my commitment and my mm-hmm. presence and uh, to really do all of this while expressing love yeah. and while expressing I'm here and I love you and and I, I guess that is what allowed to have a space mm-hmm. where we could both communicate, mm-hmm. we could both understand each other. And there was, I think, a lot to unpack because we were just starting to know each other. We obviously both came with our emotional baggage from our previous relationships. And um, we we had to understand a lot of these things. In a way, I think it was even a catalyst for better Mm-hmm. Um, communication in the couple and um, I think it accelerated the how like how we learned intimate things about each other mm-hmm. and um, and it I, I'm, I'm proud of the way that we both we, we were both able to create vulnerability mm-hmm. like use use the love that we were developing for each other to put trust before rejection mm-hmm. Um, and and be able to sort of like co-create um, that. I, I would say that it was not like a straightforward process. Yeah. Like there was definitely difficult moments in in this where you know like some patterns were triggered, mm-hmm. past patterns or like misunderstandings happened. What was very beautiful for me about the way we found our relationship, our open relationship, is the way that we. Like I really, I was, I was feeling compelled to share the way we actually co-created this, mm-hmm. um, how it was this sort of like pillow talk when we were 
on a bed for three hours mm-hmm. um, and it was just conversation, conversation, conversation of um, exploring all of our insecurities, dreams, not goals in life, but goals in relationships and, and insecurities in relationships yeah. and, and what we thought a relationship should be. So it was this very long and very open process where it was a back and forth of maybe saying, well, I think this part should be about this. And then the other one would reply, well, I agree with part of that, but then I worry that this mm-hmm. will end up in this sort of situation that I'm scared about. Yeah. Um, so then we will come up with a rule um, so that the liberty was allowed, but, you know, a vulnerability was respected. And it was this very, very beautiful process of pure vulnerability between two partners, trying to construct and trying to, like, create from ground zero of their relationship, mm-hmm. which... In hindsight, I think it was a moment where that really, really brought brought, brought us closer together yeah. as a couple. Like before, I, I think I would even say that was that because we had we had been saying like, okay, now we're a couple. Like maybe like two weeks <laughs> prior to that, but I think that was like the true moment where uh-huh. we made the transition from like two people who are sort of casually dating to like knowing this is my yeah. partner and recognizing each other as partners because uh-huh. we were able to have that space huh. to co-create the relationship. Cool. That's very beautiful. Um, yeah, also because like it's it's like it's kind of that idea that we, you know, one time we talked about like utopias and how to create political mm. utopias, but it's that same idea that you can't impose and utopia, it has to be in co-creation, yeah. a process yeah. that takes a lot of time. And yeah. that is, you it, you implement a change, you go back, you see if yeah. it works, and it's always this iterating. And the funny thing about this, now that you mention iterating, is that we did this for three hours, maybe four. Uh-huh. And as I mentioned before, we have never tested it. Uh-huh. So we have this all like book of rules <laughs> that we agreed upon. <laughs> Um, that we have never tested. So it's very, very likely that whenever either of us goes and, and wants to um, have a sexual relationship or a romantic interaction with someone else, that unexpected things will happen, yeah. unexpected emotions will arise, and that we might need to revisit all mm-hmm. this. And that's fine. Like I think that's what the, you know, that, that's what the constant communication yeah. is about. Yeah, I think also because, you know, it's that thing that, like, we're also, like, and the context is also that we we are in our 20s. I think there's something beautiful about this age, like I was sharing before, because it, it, you know, yes, age is an illusion. And, like, we are in the forming years of our life and that we're just out of university or, or high school years and we are navigating the world as adults independent beings for the first time and we are being presented with these alternatives ways alternative ways of being Mm. and so i do think there's there's that aspect of self-creation so it does make sense that also you want to figure out what makes sense for you that you don't know because you have not lived it um yeah and of course there's a lot of stigma around these things but 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 yeah, I think there's really something beautiful in this open communication above all else, you know. And I know that like as you mature and especially if you have families and kids involved, then there's also 
complexities that mm. are added to the equation. Mm. But at the end of the day, what I and even why I felt compelled to bring this concept of novogamy, it's I think it's it's a funny term, you know. And I think it's it's it it's bold. Me of novocaine, which is a drug. Ah, is it? I don't know. Novo. Yeah. Novo what? Novocaine. Novocaine, okay. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's this concept of kind of like the spectrum and let's, 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 you know, let's pause the assumptions and the, the heritage, you know, all the mm. legacy and let's, with new eyes, decide for ourselves what is it that we want yes. in co-creation, I think. And I think that is beautiful, Yeah. Do you want to add anything else? No, I, I was just, I was so ready to share sort of like how my, how my relationship looks like. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think, I think the point that I want to, without maybe going into too much detail about like how my particular relationship works, I think what I do want to say is how, again, this is a co-created process. So um, first, for me, it was very helpful to read about it and read what other people are doing because there's many different ways to go about it. As you mentioned before, it might be that this is an openness about, you know, only in the sexual yeah. uh, realm or it might be uh, emotional, emotional too. too. It might be romantic too with different people. And even in those two scenarios, it might be like a thousand different ways to go about it. So yeah, it, let me uh, just add to that. Yeah. One tension that I found really intriguing too was this tension between safety and sexual adventure exploration. Mm. But how also there's something deeply spiritual about that process of um, sexual and exploration or emotional exploration because you're also kind of discovering yeah. parts of yourself. But of course, that is always balanced with the need for safety. That is what is... Yeah. Uh, very uh, associated and linked with this idea of monogamy. It's the mm -hmm. stability that it brings. And we all have it, and we all have it to different extents. So also just to plant the seed, because yeah. then we'll connect this to, to some more uh, perhaps mm. intellectual thoughts and not yeah. only uh, personal experiences, but to just yeah plant mm -hmm. that seed. And you were I, saying? Will, I will say about that that in my case, like... Um, well, for me, it's like we are a couple. Uh -huh. And I think for us, that's like one thing that we established pretty early is this is our priority. Like I at no point should our open relationship or our openness in the relationship come at the cost of our of our relationship of both of us. So um, there's this idea of main couple and this is where like the safety part like I guess the relational need for safety comes in where like we find that in each other but then because we have that safety and we have that trust in a mm -hmm. partner uh, then from there and with a series of co-created rules and processes and and obviously those are always based on condition always continually revised and it's all based on open communication but then based on that is where we are able to then maybe explore mm -hmm. um and I will also relate that to one of the things you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, where it's so much more about being in a relationship where I feel that freedom mm -hmm. to explore that about the actual exploration. Because then at the end of the day, and this I can share because it's it's personally about me, like since, you know, since I started this open relationship, I haven't been with anyone else. <laughs> you know, like I've been not, not on sexual nor romantic terms. 
um, and I don't feel any need to do so. But I am much more um, peaceful uh, knowing that I have that freedom and that that is something that I can talk through with my partner and that it's a similar or actually equal situation for her. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I guess it makes me feel safer in the relationship. So it even empowers that relationship that I only have with her, that mm-hmm. I don't have with anyone else. So, you know, like open relationship might be completely different things for different people. But yeah. in my case, it's 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 that. Okay, so I'll do a follow-up in like perhaps like every two years to check the state. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the last question. You know, I have um, a, a final question at this Waking Youth podcast um, that we play a lot with this also idea of a waking life. What does it mean to be a waking mm. life inspired by the movie Waking Life by Richard mm. Linklater, where the main character kind of just keeps waking up in a dream and then he realizes another dream and another dream. So it's kind of that idea, how can we really sure, how can we be really sure that we're not dreaming? How can we be really sure that we're not just sleepwalking through mm. what is supposed to be our waking state? Mm. And this little moments of, you know, when it dawns on us, when we wake up to the mm-hmm. reality yeah, and in this sense, you know, I think that this conversation is a lot related to questioning and to that collective sleepwalking. Where might we wake up from that sleepwalking? Yeah, and the question is, the final question is, how do you make sure you're not sleepwalking through your waking states? Whether that is in the context of this conversation, how mm-hmm. that relates to the rest of your life, but just in general, as, as how, how do you make sure you're not sleepwalking yeah. through your waking state? <laughs> well... Um, obviously in this context specifically we I mean we have already mentioned multiple times both of us how it's about the questioning the old ways of doing things and trying to bring about new ones like stopping and co-creating new ways of doing things like and being active realizing our ability to create reality and influence reality and not resign to let things be as they are then then we would be sleepwalking about myself, how I personally do it, I think it's always linked back to that uh, rebel kid. Mm. Um, whenever I'm able to connect with that rebel feeling, mm. I think it's always helpful to to stop me from sleepwalking. And it's counterintuitive because sometimes I might be doing something that seems super rebel, but then that's when I'm sleepwalking <laughs> and then the rebel has to go against uh-huh. myself. <laughs> Well, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing us all. And it was a pleasure to have you here. It was a pleasure to be here. <laughs>